folks have been horrified over the past week with the Boston Marathon bombing. And we've seen such a tragic loss of life. And yet in the middle of that, I'm sure all of us have found moments of inspiration. Yesterday, watching that Red Sox game, at least the beginning of it, when they played the national anthem and the whole crowd sang so beautifully and so loudly, you just had to be so touched that people would come together. But to me, the most touching part of what happened is, is right after the, the first bomb, when, when most everyone was fleeing, there was those group of Americans who didn't run away from the bomb, they ran back toward it. We understand that terrorists even know that that's the way we are, that we're a group of people that run toward the problem, and so that's why so often they'll plant the second bomb, because they know they're those wonderful-hearted people that are going to come back, and we're touched by that. And, and I hope today that, that you'll be touched by Jesus as He goes back to Naz- Nazareth. He goes back to his hometown. You say, why is that a big deal? Because if you read the first time he went to his hometown, they tried to run him off a cliff. They tried to destroy him. And so here he goes. He goes back. He goes back for the people that he loves. Now guys, let's let's understand this as we begin our study today. Nazareth was not a real popular town. I mean, we would say in the south today that Nazareth was just a, it was a podunk town. It had no kind of reputation. I mean, you remember when Jesus calls Nathaniel in John chapter 1, Nathaniel says, you know, he can't be anything big time. Can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, if any city had a low self-esteem, it was Nazareth. I talked last week a little bit about going to Malawi and how late everything was in Malawi and how nothing seemed to run well or come on time. And and, and you'd complain to the Malawian people and, and anything, you'd, well, why, why don't we have power? Or why don't we have water? They had a phrase they would say over and over again. Well, that's, that's Malawi. That's just Malawi. And when you're there alone, you just want to scream. Well, why don't you do something about it, you know? That's Malawi. To tell you how bad it was, I remember riding down one of the highways, or, or, or many of the highways, and there was a, a billboard all across the, 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 the country to, I guess, what was a local Malawian beer they made. It had a picture of the beer bottle, and here was their slogan. Listen to this. Possibly the best tasting beer in the world. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> We're not too sure about that. And guys, Nazareth is that kind of town. They, they just don't believe in themselves. There's not much to it. And so when Jesus comes back, They can't believe even themselves that something great can come out of Nazareth. In fact, um, here's our headline today. Hometown boy is offensive. And the key word in the passage that we're going to study is that word offensive, which literally means they stumbled over him. Listen, Jesus was both attractive and infuriating to people. Though there are great crowds following Jesus, we get to this point and they're stumbling over him. The word there literally is the word we get the word scandal from. They're scandalized by this hometown boy who comes back with such bold claims. So let's go to Mark chapter 6. Let's start in verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue... And many who heard him were amazed. 
Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? That's so, so far, so good. So far, they, they understand his teaching is amazing. They understand he's accomplishing incredible miracles. But then watch what happens. Verse 3. Then they get negative. Isn't this the carpenter? I mean, guys, a carpenter was just a common laborer in this day. Well, what are they trying to say is, okay, we see the teaching and the miracles, but Jesus is just a, a blue-collar day laborer. I mean, how can he be this big a deal? And then they go, isn't this Mary's son? You think there wasn't a twist to that knife? I mean, 30 years later, they're still remembering in this small town of this controversial birth to this woman who had not been married when she got pregnant. It's just Mary's son and, and, and the brother James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon aren't his sisters here with us. And they took offense at him. They go, you know what? We, we, we see the evidence here, but we know him. We know his family. And as the old phrase goes, familiarity brings what? Contempt. They know him so well, they can't believe there's something this big. What makes him think he's this big? And then Jesus says to them, I understand what's going on here. Verse 4, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, in his own home. What you're saying is, you know what? People everywhere else are flocking to me. But you guys, you've got contempt. You're offended. you got to come back to my hometown. Anybody ever experienced that going back around the people, you know, maybe you grew up with and you have a hard time seeing them differently? Or maybe somebody you know makes it sort of big time, you know, and you still see them as that kid? Now think about uh, the Weldon son when he comes home, Sam Weldon. Sam's a a big time lawyer in, in South Carolina, but I still remember him as this kid, you know, who took the hammer out and banged the dash of the church van. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you, you remember, I, I think about in, in Birmingham when I go to our church up there and I see Wes Self, you know, who's just a strong leader there. And I think, man, I remember you when you were just a little cocky teenager. And now you're a cocky adult, you know what I'm saying? I mean, sometimes it's hard to get people out of a box and, and these people can't get Jesus out of this box. And, and, and sometimes you've got to go somewhere else for someone to listen to you. I mean, I love the old saying, you become an expert when you're 100 miles away from home. You're never an expert at home. And so they don't believe, despite all the evidence they know about, they admit. Look at verse 5. He could do no miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. I I love that. What a phrase. No miracles except in a few. All right. He was amazed at their lack of faith. We see all through the New Testament, the Gospels, people are amazed at Jesus. We see two times when Jesus is amazed. One is by the faith of the Roman centurion. The other is here when he's amazed by his hometown's lack of faith. And because of the lack of faith, he does no miracles. My friend, sometimes in your life and my life, God cannot act because we don't expect him to act. 
If you come into this assembly today and you really don't think God's going to do anything, you don't think your heart can be changed, you don't think you can be touched, let me tell you, you won't be. But if you walk in here with some faith and some expectation of what God could do, then you might be. It could happen. It's all to do with your faith. It's all to do, do you really expect God to show up and for God to work? And they don't, and it shuts God down. Reminds me of the story of this uh, country boy goes to the famous art museum in Paris, and he walks through the whole thing. And he finally walks out, and he says to a guard, you know, I, I really didn't see anything special in there. And the guard said these words to him. Sir, it's not the pictures that are on trial here. It's the visitors. All right? Listen to me. It's not Jesus on trial here. It's the hometown folks. In your life, as we study through the Gospel of Mark, it's not Jesus on trial. It's not me and you sitting back going, well, I wonder if we think he's this way or maybe he's that or maybe he's not. Guys, let me tell you, Jesus has proved who he is. The person on trial here today is me. The person on trial here today is you. Now, let's talk about this for a little bit. Because here's where we see that word, he was offensive. And I want to start a sentence and we're going to expand the sentence as we go on through the sermon. First of all, Jesus was offensive. We've got to understand that about him. To this point in the Gospel of Mark, we see him be offensive about lots of different issues. Let me just list of them. He is offensive about his claims. When Jesus says, I can forgive sins, they connect that with him being God, good connection, and they're offended. He's offended because he, he's offensive because he breaks religious tradition. Well, what was tradition? Tradition is not right and wrong. Tradition is just tradition. It's just a certain way of doing things. When is tradition wrong? When it becomes the law of God. We struggle with that in, with our churches. That just a traditional way of doing things is begins to be equal with the law of God. Jesus picks fights about this stuff. And he offends the religious people because he walks in and he breaks the traditions. He's offensive because he calls people to repent. Because the word repent means you need to turn around and go in a different direction. Most of us do not like to be told we need to change. But there's something about the message of Jesus consistently that says you got to change. You're not who you ought to be. You need to turn around. He even offends people by his teaching on grace. What's, what's, what's the teaching of grace? The teaching of grace is that you don't deserve it. But because of God, you get this gift from Him. And guys, why would grace be offensive? Because it offends people's egos who want to believe that they earn their salvation. It's even still offensive today. There are churches where they'll say, don't. You know, don't teach about grace unless you teach about how you can fall from grace. There are churches today where people say, well, you don't talk too much about love, don't talk too much about grace. My friends, that's the core of the message. And yet, if you want to protect your ego and your pride and think that you've got something to contribute to your salvation, grace is going to be offensive to you. It wasn't Jesus' day. And then in this story, we see that Jesus was offensive just by his own ordinariness. They're, they're just offended because he's one of them. They're offended because God comes to this earth and, and lives just like an ordinary carpenter. 
You know, most people think Joseph died early in Jesus' life, and more than likely, Jesus ran the carpentry business to age 30. And so when they see him, all they can see is this little blue-collar worker. He's just too ordinary. That's not the way God would come. He wouldn't come and be one of us. And yet that's what Jesus came to do. He came to be one of us. So, so mark this down. You need to understand this. Jesus was, and he is, offensive. Now, now, now let's expand our sentence. Jesus was ex- offensive to everyone. Jesus is what I call an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> Everybody's offended to him. I mean, just look at the people we've seen so far. The liberals and the conservatives are offended by Jesus. The right wing and the left wing. He can't win. I understand that a little bit. You know, sometimes it's so funny. The most controversial sermon I think I've preached here, at least the one I got the most flack about, just shocked me. Last spring I was preaching about stewardship, and I preached a sermon on stewardship of the earth, and I got it. Here's what's so funny about it. I got it from people who thought, you're some wacko, commie, pinko. And I got it from people who thought, that's a quotation. I got it from people who thought, man, you didn't go far enough on this thing. I mean, you need to talk more about this. It's all right with me. That's just sometimes where you are. Well, Jesus offended both the right wing and the left wing. Nobody likes him. Jesus offends both the religious and the irreligious. The religious folks get uptight with him. The irreligious people don't buy in. And in this story, you find out Jesus has offended both the somebodies and the nobodies. He offends everybody. Listen to me, guys. That should not be surprising to us. If we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if we believe He is the Messiah, listen to me. We should not be surprised that He's going to come in and offend our life. You see, here's how too many of us are today. I want to follow Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. He's so cool. I love His grace. Uh, I, I love Jesus. Until Jesus says something that doesn't agree with what I believe. I love Jesus. Isn't he wonderful? Until he says, what you're doing there, buddy, is sinful and you need to repent. Listen to me. What kind of God would it be to come to this earth and agree with someone like me about everything? Here's what many of us are trying to do. We are trying to remake God into our own image instead of us being remade into his image. Because I see so many Christian people, when it comes down to it, and God said one thing, and we believe another thing, I'm telling you who we're going to drop. We're going to drop God, or we're going to make God agree with us. Because he's offensive. He's offensive to everybody. We shouldn't be shocked at that. Should you be shocked that God can come into your life? God, who knows everything about everything? The creator of the world, the sustainer of life, should we be shocked that he's going to come in and say some things to us that don't go along with the way we were brought up? Or the way we've always believed, or the way probably we just want to believe? Listen to me, friends. If he is the Lord, we must accept him with the part of him that is offensive. Did you hear me? If he is the Lord, we must accept him even with the part of him that's offensive to us. Okay, let's expand our sentence one more time. Jesus was offensive to everyone in different ways. The same thing doesn't offend everybody. For instance, they're offended in Nazareth because he's just a hometown boy that made it big. 
Now you got to understand, these were, this was a society that was very class-based. It was a society where you didn't move from one class to the next class. If you were born just an ordinary commoner, it was impossible for you to, to, to be different. And so in that culture, it was offensive for Jesus, this story, the hometown boy makes it big. They just couldn't, they couldn't grasp that, couldn't fathom. Now, honestly, in America today, we would embrace this because that's part of who we are. We like to see the guy who grew up in difficult surroundings make it big. This past August, our gridiron speaker was, was Dabo Sweeney. We loved his testimony because he grew up poor, with an alcoholic father that was abusive, a divorce where he even goes off to college, and he's so poor he has the room with his mother who sleeps in the same bed. And now we see him as a big-time coach making millions of dollars. And in America, we're not offended by that. We think that's great. So what might offend someone might not offend other people. And we could go down, go down the list. Because in a Western culture that we live in, we embrace his teachings on grace and love and forgiveness and non-retaliation. We embrace that. But in Western cultures today, we stumble, we are offended overall by the exclusivity of his teaching. We're offended that he says he's the only way to heaven. Now, if we went to Eastern cultures in our world, it would be just the opposite. They wouldn't be offended by his exclusivity. They would be offended by his teaching of grace and forgiveness and non-retaliation. They would say, that is weak. You go to the Middle Eastern cultures and you say, you don't retaliate? You just love people back and you love your enemies? We think, wow, what a beautiful teaching. They think, that is weak. I'm not believing in God like that. So listen, guys, he is going to offend us in different ways. I guarantee you, if you read him close enough, if you read the Bible enough, you are going to be offended by something he's taught. All of us, if we be honest, have something that we say, I really wish the Bible didn't say that. If you don't, you've not read open-mindedly. We all got to say, well, God, why did you say that? God, why did you say that about sex? God, why did you say that about materialism? Why did you say that about gossip? Why did you say that about truth? I mean, it's going to offend all of us. Because he's the Lord. There's something you're not going to like, something I'm not going to like. Well, can I ask you to be thinking about that? What has God said that you just go, I really wish that wasn't there. My life would be a whole lot better if he hadn't said that one. Now, he's preparing his disciples for the same thing. Let's go back to Mark chapter 6, verse 8. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. What's he saying? You go in places. You don't go stay in the the rich hotel in the outskirts of town. Hospitality is a big deal. You go and you stay in people's homes. You live just like one of them. You you, you do your best to be non-offensive. But you won't see it up here, but here's verse 11. And if at any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place. Shake off the feet. Shake off your feet. As a testimony against him, what you say? You go and you seek to be non-offensive. But just like me, 
you're going to offend somebody. And so you be prepared. If you've got to shake the dust off your feet, that was a symbol in that day of, you know what? I've given you the truth. You take it and do something with it. Then you do that. So let's, let's think about this for a little bit as we try to apply this. As followers of Jesus, we will be both attractive and offensive. We will be both attractive and offensive. Now let's talk about this for a little bit. Listen, it is not our goal to be offensive. You know, the Bible says that people will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. He did not say you'll be persecuted for obnoxious' sake, all right? You ever known an obnoxious Christian? You ever know somebody who just sort of made it their goal to go out and defend people? You know, I think about that church that protests at every military funeral. Those folks are going out of their way to be offensive. I honestly think about sometimes growing up in churches of Christ where it, it appears to me we went out of our way to come up with something to offend somebody. Are we minor on such minor things? We, we upset everybody. It's always, because I remember a preacher I worked with once telling me his goal when he preached was to make people mad. So he would name these names of all these other churches just to make them mad. And I asked him one day, why do you do that? He said, I, they'll either prove me right or prove me wrong. I'm telling you, no, no they won't. They're just going to walk out. So it's not our goal to be offensive. But we need to say this. We will be offensive. Paul says, as much as possible, live at peace with all men. That's our goal. Peter says, do everything you can to make the gospel attractive. That's, that's, we, that's what we want to do. But we will be offensive. Jesus said it this way. If they hated me, you better believe this, they're going to hate you. In fact, Jesus says, woe to you if everyone speaks well of you. And then Paul says again, everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. Everyone. Now let's just let's get really honest here and get the rubber meets the road. Jesus is still offensive today. We don't try to be offensive, but he is. Let, let me tell you some things about Jesus. There's still some of the same things we've studied so far. You know, an offensive verse. In our culture today, you just quote it on national TV and you'll get eaten up. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's offensive. Breaking traditions can still be offensive. Calling people to repentance. You know, we, we want to sort of trick people into being Christian. Just, just come on and be with us because you're a good person and you'll be a little bit better person. No, that's not what he teaches. Grace can still be offensive because people have too much ego. Let's get down to it. Let me, let me, say, let me say what's going to be the big offensive issue that we're going to face as Christians. It's going to be this issue of homosexuality. Our teaching is more and more out of the mainstream of America. This whole gay marriage debate, God, we're, we're getting beaten. And if, if, the, if the people don't overturn it, the courts probably will. And, and, and guys, with our kids growing up, when they say we believe homosexual behavior is sinful, that's going to be big time offensive. It already is in lots of quarters. It's offensive. And we're going to have to be prepared for that. 
I read one book the other day, said it will be the biggest impediment to the growth of the church. Not just people that are into living the homosexual life, but people that are offended that you would even think it was wrong. We're going to have to make a strong case. People are offended about what the Bible says about sex outside of marriage. I cannot tell you the amount of people that I meet, people would shock you that are living together before marriage. The percentages are the highest percentage of people do that before they get married. People are going to be offended as we take a stand about that. People are going to be offended when we say you can't just divorce because you're unhappy. People are going to be offended in all sides of so many issues. We're just, we, we, we're just going to be offensive, guys. Not We're not going to try to, but we will be. I want you to hear this quotation from a favorite favorite preacher of mine who gave a lot of thoughts for this message for me today, Timothy Keller. We will be the most exclusive sounding and the most inclusive acting group of people on the earth. I love that combination. The most exclusive sounding and the most inclusive acting. Guys, that's what the early church was. They preached, you you talk about a controversial message that Jesus was the only true God in a cultures where you, everybody had their own personal God. But, but here's what happened, is, is they preached that message, but if there was a poor person, they were the one to help them. If there was a plague that came out in the city, listen to me, it was the Christian people, when everybody else fled the city, who stayed in the city to minister to the sick people. When everybody else didn't give two flips about slaves, they accepted them into their church. When most everybody else was racist, they were the most inclusive people on the face of the earth. And God, today, we need to be the same. If someone comes in here who's struggling with homosexuality, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to preach the truth, and we're going to love you. We're going to preach the truth, and we'll help you. God, we got a group that this brother down here helps lead to help people. That's what we're going to do. We're not going to ostracize you. I believe you could come into this front row and admit it today, and this church would love you. But neither are we going to act like it's okay. If you're living with someone you're not married to, we're going to tell you the truth about it. But we're also going to help you find a new place to live, all right? And we're going to help. If you're divorced, we're going to tell you you can start all over again. If you're a gossip, we can tell you God's got the power to change you. If you're greedy about money, God can make you generous. If you're a drunkard or a drug addict, we will help you get past that. We're going to have an exclusive message, but we're going to be the most inclusive people. We're going to be like Jesus. We're going to be full of grace and truth. That's who we're going to be. We're not trying to act like we got it all together. We're not trying to act like we're self-righteous. We're not trying to act like we don't have our own sin issues. But we've got to be true to what Jesus has said, and we're going to have to be gracious. And Jesus proves you can do both. So let me give you a test here as we conclude. Are your beliefs and or lifestyle offensive to anyone? What you believe and how you live, are you offending anybody? Because again, I'm not trying to go out and be obnoxious and try to offend somebody. I'm just telling you the Bible promises if we really live what we believe, People are going to be offended. Not because we want them to be or we work at it, we try it, we don't. We try it much as possible to be attractive and to to be at peace with all people. But the truth is, guys, there is something wrong with our faith if our beliefs and our lifestyle are not offensive to someone.
You see, the, the problem with too many of us is that we're not really attractive and we're not offensive. We're just blah. The, the problem, guys, is that we have fit into our culture to the point that we don't stick out. We don't stand out. And so we don't offend anybody. And I'm just telling you what the Bible says, so don't get offended by me. Because it says, Jesus says, you need to be worried if that's the truth about your life. You need to look around and go, I must not be taking a stand about what I need to take a stand about. I must not be living a lifestyle that's radical enough for someone to critique it. I must not be teaching something that's Jesus enough to offend somebody. If, if your answer to that question is no, then and I challenge you, I challenge me about this. We need to take a good look at our life and see, are we really becoming like Jesus? Because Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And if you are, you, you find yourself in places where your views and your lifestyle is offensive, then here's what I'd like to say to you. Jesus understands. He was even rejected in his hometown. Did you, did you hear when we were studying the ultimate put-down of Jesus? Here's the ultimate put-down they said in Nazareth. Isn't this Mary's son? You know what? In a small town, you can't hide your past, can you? Some of you grew up in small towns. 30 years later. They still remember the birth of Jesus and that the mom was not married when she got pregnant. What do they, they slam? They said, Jesus, we, here's what they're trying to say. Jesus, we're not even sure about who your daddy was. Jesus, here's what they're saying. Just listen to me. Don't get mad. Jesus, you're a bastard. That's what they were saying. They were that offensive to him, that offended with him. You're a nobody. You go, oh, buddy, that is so unfair. It is. But listen to me. That's exactly where Jesus wanted to be. Jesus came to this earth to take all of the offense. Not only from people, but the offense of God toward our sins. Jesus came to this earth and on the cross, he truly becomes a son without a father. Jesus suffers the ultimate rejection on the cross. She said, my God, Dad, Father, where are you? He fulfills this. And guys, why does Jesus take that rejection? Why is Jesus willing to take the offense? Listen, Jesus took the ultimate rejection so that we could receive the ultimate acceptance. Because the ultimate rejection is to be rejected by God. The truth is, you can handle, if you understand things in the right way, you can handle any other rejection in your life except rejection of God. That's what you can't handle. The ultimate acceptance is what Jesus offers us today, is to be accepted by God. If you know God's for you, Paul would say, who could be against you? And so Jesus suffered the ultimate rejection so that you and I would have the ultimate acceptance. And guys, it's from that acceptance, that love of God, that I'm able to go out and be attractive and offensive.
I'm to go out and I'm to love like God and I'm to speak truth like God. And even if someone rejects me or is offended by what I say or how I live, I can handle that because deep down I have the acceptance of God and that gives me the security to be everything I need to be. So today, are there people here that it's time for you to come to God to experience that love and acceptance and be put on a mission? Or there may be some of us here today that, that you, the truth is your life is blah. There's nothing distinctive about your teaching or your life. There's nothing about me or you that's offending anybody because it's just so lame. I ask you, maybe today could be the day. Could today be the day that you decide to follow Jesus? Because when you follow Jesus, you're going to be incredibly attractive and incredibly offensive at the same time. If you need to come, why don't you come right now while we stand together and sing.